1: We're on shifting ground. We're on, we're on some ground today that can change a life in a matter of seconds. We're on some ground today that'll shift the atmosphere, that'll shift your situation, that'll shift your circumstance, that'll shift your families. I got to thinking about that word shift, and I Googled it because I didn't want it from anywhere else, and if it's from Google, it's got to be right, so we're going to Google it, but it means to exchange for, to change position, to change gears. And so on. So I came today wanting to know, is there anybody in this room this morning that has faced a season where you just wanted to give up? Come on, I'm looking for real people. This ain't a church of fake people. We're not religious minded people. We are people after the heart of Jesus. And I tell you this morning, I believe there's people in here that have faced seasons in your life where you just wanted to give up. Come on, I've been there. Just wanted to say, God, it's just not for me. It's just not it. It's not it. I, I can't do anything right. I've tried, I've tried, I try to do everything I know to do, but nothing's working. Why is it like that, God? You felt like you were doing the right things, but you're getting nowhere. You felt like you were moving in the right direction, but you're not going anywhere. Can I tell you this morning that it's not time to quit and throw in the towel? It's not the time to surrender to the plan of the enemy that has our minds thinking we're getting nowhere with God. Sometimes the situation we're in in life where we feel like we're going nowhere is the best place to be in. When we feel like we're going nowhere, God is trying to show us that he's up to taking us somewhere. The problem is, is that somewhere we want to go may not be his plan or our own plan, but it's his plan. And that's why we're not seeing it. We're struggling to get going forward. Some of you this morning are on the edge of a breakthrough. I'm going to go and tell you real quick. Some of you in here this morning are on the edge of a breakthrough. You are right there on the shifting line of breakthrough in your life. You're right on the line of breakthrough in your marriage. You're right on the line of breakthrough in your finances. You're on the line of breakthrough with the relationship with your kids. Your health is on the line of breakthrough. Your relationship with God's on the line of breakthrough. Everything you've ever dreamed of, your purpose is on the line of breakthrough because God's got you in a place where he's ready to shift you. I told my daughter, we've been playing tournament ball all summer, and uh, I told her, I said, you know, about three tournaments in a row, she was hitting, but she just wasn't hitting it well, and I know her potential, and I was watching her, and I'm one of them dads that I, I may not say a whole lot in front of everybody else, but I say it when it's just me and her, but I video her, and I break down her swing and things like that, and I told her, I said, you know what, there's really nothing wrong with your swing. You're just barely missing it. It's just something that's off. Your eyes are not seeing it right. And I think this morning that's the analogy that fits. It's not that what you're doing is not getting you anywhere. You're not seeing it correctly. You're not seeing the whole plan. You're not seeing the whole vision. You're not seeing the whole purpose. But had she quit swinging, she'd have never seen herself break through. If you quit swinging today, there's no breakthrough. If you quit swinging, then it's over because the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 14 that so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Verse 47 says, Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab and Ammon and Edom and the kings of Zobib, and, And he also fought against the Philistines. And wherever he turned, the Bible says he was victorious. Church, there is nothing greater than to know that just because I don't see God moving does not mean he's not moving. Just because I don't feel the way God is moving does not mean that he's not moving. Just because I think that it's all over and he's given up on me does not mean that. Just because I don't see God moving does not mean he's not moving this morning. I want to tell you something. Saul was at the battle with Israel's enemies, the Philistines. And now we pick up in scripture where the Bible says that Saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree in the city of Migran, and he's licking his wounds because he's been defeated. One, because he failed to heed the commandments of God, and he offered up a sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to, but he also took matters into his own hands, which cost him the presence of God departing from his life. I want to tell you this morning that not only are we at risk when we take matters into our own hand of really just tearing things up into a place where it don't need to be, but we are at ultimate risk of the presence of God departing our life. Because God says, I have established a kingdom. And the agenda is just to further the kingdom. But if you begin to establish your own domain in your own life, then I will withdraw from that domain because my kingdom is already established and I just need people to advance it. And I'm not looking for anybody else's agendas and I'm not looking for anybody else's kingdoms. I'm looking for men and women that will stand on the foundation that I've already built. And that foundation is in Christ and Christ alone, how he came to earth and he was 100 percent man and he was 100 percent God and he gave his life on Calvary. He was the ultimate sacrifice that one man's sin came into the world and we all suffered from it but one man's obedience would be the ultimate sacrifice that will restore us back to the father and he said it, that is the foundation in which the kingdom is fathered sometimes we struggle in life because we don't see that God is trying to show us kingdom things now here's what's interesting the word migrant where Saul was actually at on this pomegranate tree means fear the king the leader Is now defeated and sitting in under a tree under a spirit of fear in the city of fear. Why is it that sometimes we let fear creep into our life? And not only does fear creep into our life, but fear also gets us surrounded by people who fear and put us in a city of fear. And now we can no longer see God because our circle is full of fear. The Bible says that Saul had 600 men with him and he was still sitting under a tree in fear. Some of us don't realize this morning that we are part of a body of believers. We are part of the body of Christ and you have so many believers that are on your side and on your team and fighting for you and pushing for you and encouraging you and wanting to see you do well. And you have every bit of the help and support that you need. You don't have to sit in the city of fear underneath a tree and watch your life go by. You're on the right team. He's sitting here and he's absolutely defeated. But what I love about the Bible is chapter 14 starts that way. But at the end, he's victorious. Pastor, why are you telling me that this morning? I want you to know that these 600 men that were with him were willing to fight and were sitting by his side. As I sit here, I am thinking that according to the way it looks, that nobody would want to get on Saul's team. Nobody would want to get behind Saul because they thought he was a loser. They thought he couldn't do anything right. Right. But the beginning of the chapter is very disappointing. He is told in the chapter before that his kingdom is coming to an end. Do you know what that means? The Bible never said that God instructed him that God's kingdom was coming to an end. He said, Your kingdom's coming to an end. Why? Because the chapter is starting off the way it is because you're establishing your own kingdom. If you want to end chapter 14 victorious, you've got to get under the right kingdom. You've got to get under the right empowerment. You've got to get under the right authority. You've got to get in the right direction in your life. He said, but Saul, as long as it is, you have lost the kingdom. You are done. But it doesn't end that way. I wish that you would just look at your neighbor this morning and say, you may see my third chapter of my life and it don't look very good. It's not very bright right now, but I want you to keep reading. Keep reading my story. Keep watching my story. Keep reading the things that I'm going through. I want you to know that just because this chapter looks bad, the next chapter is full of victory. And the chapter after that's full of victory. And the chapter after that's full of victory. If you close the book because you looked at the cover, you'll never see the kingdom that's been established on the inside of me. You've got to believe that it's just a chapter. But you can give up. It may not look right, but keep reading. There are people right now that are boasting over the seasons of your life and have mistakenly judged your story. There are people that that are boasting and take pride in watching you fall in watching you struggle in watching you go through things that they never thought you would go to. Why? Because they have mistakenly judged your story. See, they think that your story is going to end that way. They think that your marriage is going to end that way. They think that, you, that, that your kids are going to end that way. They, they think that the way you serve God is going to end that way. But I'm here to tell you today that this story is not over, and this book's not finished, and this chapter is just beginning, and God has a work for your life, and God has a purpose for your life, and God has a plan for your life. And he said, if you will just set the pen down and give me the book and let me finish writing it, you'll find that victory is coming in the very soon days. Victory is coming in your life if you'll set the pen down and let me keep writing it. Saul was encountering these things. Church, can I tell you something? We don't serve a one-hit wonder God. If God will do it in the Bible, God will do it for you. If God will do it for me, he'll do it for you. I'm encouraged when I see God moving in the life of somebody because it makes me believe I'm not looking for your blessing. I'm just knowing that if God can do it for you, he can do it for me. If God can move in your situation, he can move in mine. No use for me to put my head down. No use for me to shed tears. I just gotta be encouraged that the same God is still moving. He's the same as he was yesterday. He's gonna be the same today. He's gonna be the same tomorrow. And for everlasting time, he'll always be the same. He's no respecter of person. He don't care about your background. He don't care how much knowledge you have. He don't worry about your family tree. He didn't check your bank account before he saved you. He didn't ask your friends if they thought he should save you. He's no respecter of person and he's looking for men and women today that will surrender and submit to the will of God and say, I want to be on that team. I want to be on the team where God is moving. I want to be on the team where he's reaching the lost. I want to be on the team where the little things are made big and the big things are made small because we don't serve a God that is small. He'll take the small situations in your life and make them look so big and take the ones that you can't get past and make them look so small because that's the God that we serve this morning. But I love where it picks up because the Bible says that so the Lord saved Israel that day in verse 23. He says, and the battle shifted. How many can remember the day that the Lord saved you? Come on, I'm not talking about the first 15 times. I'm talking about the day he really saved you. I'm talking about the day when you quit being a Sunday and Wednesday Christian. I'm talking about the day where you said, I love Jesus with everything inside of me and I am saved right down to the core of my life. That I no longer just serve God on Sunday and Wednesday, but I am saved on Monday through Sunday. I am saved in every conversation. I am saved in every situation. I am saved in every circumstance. I'm saved in every bad report. And I can rise above it because God has given me the strength through the salvation he's provided me. How many remember that day when God saved you? I'll never forget getting up from them altars. I'll never forget knowing that I was going back to a home where I want to struggle with addictions and I want to struggle with things in my life. And I would have to go back to that house and I was going to have to face the very things that I struggled with. But God promised me in them altars. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You may have to face them, but I'll give you a power to overcome them. You may have to look at them, but they don't longer see you for who you were. You are something better. You are something greater. You have risen above the things that had a hold on you. It may have had you, but it ain't got you no more. How many remember that day Come on. when he changed the story and he turned it all around? The battle shifted to beth Haven. But I gotta tell you, the, the word beth Aven means the house of nothing. <laughs> Ain't it interesting that Saul is found under a pomegranate tree in a spirit of fear, in a city of fear, and now God is gonna shift him to beth where it's a house of nothing. <laughs> God, how do you encourage me when I was fearing and now I'm in a season of nothing? only have you, I feel like you departed from me. I don't feel you. I don't see you. I'm not hearing from you. It's nothing. Where's my real people at? What side do I need to preach to this morning? Where's the people that come for a change in their life? Where's the people that ain't so spiritual that are thinking this morning and saying, pastor, you know what? That's right. That's right. We face those things. We've been in a season of nothing and we want to give up The season when you're praying and nothing's happening. The season when you're fasting and nothing's happening. The season where you're sowing everything you got and nothing's happening. The season where you're fighting for people who ain't even willing to fight for themselves The season when you're fighting for your kids and they still acting crazy. The season where you're worshipping and you're not feeling anything happen. The season when you're in church and you have no breakthrough. The season where you're warring on every side. You're aggravated. You're agitated. You want to give up and, all of a sudden, you're swinging and I ain't hit nothing and, all of a sudden, God's got you in a place where it's called the house of nothing. God, where are you and when are you going to show up? He said, if you'll just sit still, if you just realize that when you're in the house of nothing, you're on a ground that is shifting. You're on a ground that's moving you from one place to another. You don't need to see the things I'm doing because I don't want you ruining it. I don't want you getting the flesh. I don't want you getting before me. You just need to stay put where you are and let me shift your life. Let me shift your circumstances. You've got to be willing to let God move the way God wants to move. It's all sitting here feeling like nothing's happening. And all of a sudden the Bible said it shifted. At Bethaven, it shifted. That's why you can't be thinking those thoughts of quitting this morning. That's why you can't be thinking about giving up on your marriage. That's why you can't give up on your kids. That's why you can't give up on your relationship with God. Because little do you know you're shifting something is happening, and that's why the enemy is planting these seeds of thought in your mind that the grass is greener on the other side. Let me tell you, if people would learn to fertilize their own grass, they wouldn't look at somebody else's grass. If you would take care of your own marriage, you wouldn't look at somebody else's marriage. If you take care of your own kids, you wouldn't compare to the kids that you see down the street. If you take care of your own finances, you wouldn't worry about the millionaires. The grass ain't always greener. That's just a sign that you need to do more to yours. But if I quit... It's going to get easier. I'm just going to give up, Pastor. Ain't nothing going to happen for me. It just ain't meant to be in my life. It would be easier if I went back. But let me remind you, it shifted when nothing was happening. I want to tell you something this morning. We've got to go after God with everything we have. If you don't hear another word I preach to you in these next few minutes, we have to go after God with every single thing we have inside of us. Earlier in that chapter, Jonathan, which was Saul's son, while everyone else is sitting under this tree in a spirit of fear, he decides that I'm not even going to go talk to my father. I'm not even going to go ask my father what he thinks I should do. I'm not going to go ask my father because he's already sitting in a spirit of fear. And I'm not going to surround myself with fear because I know that I can take my armor and I can take my armor bearer and I can go to the battlefield. And he says to his armor bearer, he says, perhaps the Lord will make a way for us. Perhaps if just the two of us will get it made up in our mind that we can go into that battlefield, perhaps the Lord will make a way for us. Perhaps our faith will prevail. Perhaps God will see us through. Perhaps it'll, it'll, it'll encourage my father. Perhaps it'll encourage the other 600 men to come to battle. Perhaps the Lord will make a way if we will just take a stand. See, sometimes in life, we're looking at our surroundings and we're saying, well, ain't nobody else standing. But that don't mean that's your excuse not to stand. When ain't nobody else standing, that means you should stand stronger because they need an example to see on how to stand. They're struggling and you may be the answer. But why is this scripture so important? It proves this church that God is not after a title. The king is sitting in fear in a city of fear and his son goes after God with everything he has. And God is fixing to make a way in the life of somebody who has no title. God's not concerned with a title. You don't have to be the pastor. You don't have to be the Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be the worship leader. You just have to be after the heart of God and want God to use you and want to be a vessel that will submit and let God work through you. Jonathan made his way there to prove that he was after God's heart. Jonathan says, I'm going to seek God for an answer and I'm going to let God take care of this battle. We've got too many Christians in this world today who are following men that the glory has already departed from and we wonder why the church ain't making no headway in the in the cities and ain't making no headway in the nation because we're following men we think God's with and the glory has already departed Jonathan said my dad has lost the presence of God he may be the king but he's in fear and he's lost it I'm going after God in his presence I'm going after what's going to shift this I'm going after what's going to change this we don't need any more men and women going after men and women who have no presence of God in their life we need to go after God and seek God for the presence in our life that they will draw back to the presence of God and they will want to be in the presence of God, and God will move because of the heart sitting in fear with no devotion towards God. Come on, church. That's why it's, people are struggling today. There's we're in a nation, and I'm not. I don't talk about other pastors because it's not my business. But we are in a nation where pastors are not even praying. We are in a nation where pastors are more concerned with how much they can offer. I love being relevant, but not at the cost of relationship. I'll be as relevant as God has allowed me to be, but I'll never cross the border where relationship is hindered. Men that are not devoted towards God and holding back others who want to pursue God Why? Because when men and women begin to pursue God and they're following people who are not devoted to God, it will show. And they will pass them up. So we have a nation of religious mindsets that are wanting to hold people back who want to go after God's heart because I don't want to be exposed for where I stand with God. Because Jonathan seeks seeks God and he wins with God. And watch what happens. When Jonathan won with God, he caught the attention of Saul. Saul didn't even know Jonathan was missing. He heard the cry from the camp of the Philistines. They had already surrendered. They was already defeating them. They had took 20-something men in a half-acre of land's life with two men. God was already giving them favor, and there was a loud cry from this camp. And the Bible says that they heard it. And he said, go get the ark of God go get the roll call. Why? Because Saul was still concerned without making it look spiritual. Go get the ark of God. The uh, the presence of God was already with Jonathan. All you had to do was go in the battlefield. You didn't need to go super spiritualize anything. You didn't need to go get anything to make it seem like Saul was spiritual, but Saul knew he was in a place without God. So he had to make it look right. So he says, take the roll call. And I believe in my mind, the reason he took roll call was not necessarily because he wanted to know who was missing, because he wanted to know who was fixing to get the credit. And Christianity has become about credits and titles. And it's nothing about it. And the Bible says it, as they heard it, it got the attention of Saul. And Saul took his men and they went into battle. Church, it took a no title young man to start a battle that woke up a fighting king. We keep holding our youth back and we're gonna have dying leaders that can't be woke. We keep holding people back because we believe they're not as theological and spiritual and seminary degrees as us. We're gonna find dying leaders because we're scared to death for young people who are on fire for God. It took a no title, young man. Let me tell you what I see coming. I see an army of God rising up in this generation right here. Young people that are after the very heart of God That say, you know what, pastor, I've heard it all my life that it's about this and it's about that and it's about this and it's about that. But I'm not willing to sacrifice and put limitations on my God. I'm willing to open the lid and let God out of the box and see what God will do if I will just search the very heart of God. That's the generation I see rising. One that says I will become all things to all men that maybe just I can preach Christ to one of them. If I got to be relevant to them in that way and I don't have to water nothing down and I don't have to risk my relationship, I'm going to do it that they can hear about Jesus, that they can have the same opportunity to see a savior that changed my life, to see a savior that shifted my ground. I'm going to be whatever I have to be short of sin that I can see somebody make it to heaven. That's the generation that's rising up. Young people, wake them up. Young men and women, wake up the hearts of people. Pursue God with passion. Worship with passion. Get out of your seats when nobody else wants to. Lift your hands when nobody wants to. Walk up to these altars when people are questioning it. Wake people up with your passion. Wake people up with your purpose. Wake people up with your drive and your gifts and the things God has given you. You don't have to debate it. You don't have to argue it. Just get out of your seat and wake people up with God moving in your life. Be passionate. We need some Jonathans who understand this right here that this is not time for anybody to sit under a pomegranate tree. Even if the daddy is in fear, even if the pastor is struggling to lead, there is work that has to be done and God wants to use somebody to do it. Jonathan seen it, he felt it. I've come to tell you today, this morning, that you've been fighting and nothing. You think you're swinging and missing but I've come to tell you that you are on the ground where God wants you. There was a shifting taking place. I stood in this church Thursday night and I watched the power of God enter this room with a bunch of men who came to eat hamburgers and hot dogs. We didn't know what was fixing to happen, but I watched the spirit of God move in and begin to shift the ground that we stood on, begin to shift the things we were saying, begin to shift the things we were doing. Because it wasn't about anything but him. We didn't care what they had on. We didn't care how they talk. We didn't count their tattoos. We didn't count their earrings. We didn't count their hats. We didn't look at their shorts. We didn't laugh at their sneakers. We didn't talk about their past. We didn't ask them where they come from. All we said is come on in here and worship a God who's willing to shift your life. A God who's willing to change. The Bible says in verse 47 that now when Saul has secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab, Ammon, Edom, and the kings of Zobah and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he was victorious. Don't forget he was losing at the beginning. He performed great deeds and he conquered. He saved Israel from all those who had plundered him. Church, the Bible says that Saul was facing enemies in every direction. He had enemies to the north, he had enemies to the south. He had enemies to the east, he had enemies to the west. He had enemies to the northwest, he had enemies to the northeast. He had enemies to the southwest, he had enemies to the southeast. And he was defeating them everywhere he turned. Pastor, I got enemies. So what? Defeat them. Pastor, I got enemies. Stop talking about them and defeat them. Stop letting them live rent free in your mind. Stop letting them live rent free in your marriage. Stop letting them rent, live rent free in your kids. Stop letting them get in situations they were never created to be in and defeat them. Everywhere you turn, there's gonna be a battle in this life. Christianity's that way. We're always gonna fight. The Bible said, Jesus said, Look, they didn't like me, they're not gonna like you. Defeat them and love them. Fight them and love them. Fight them and love them because the spirit has to go but the love needs to remain just because I'm fighting you as an enemy don't mean I'm not trying to win you through love Just because I'm trying to drive that spirit out of your life don't mean I'm not trying to put love right back in, that we can have a relationship, that we can have a friendship, that we can serve God together. I'm not trying to kill you and defeat you. I want the spirit out you so you can see a God that loves you. I want you to see how much he loves you and it's unconditional. See, your friend will love you with what they call phileo love. If you love them, they love you. You give to them, they give to you. But God loves with what we call an agape love. He says it's not really about what you do at all. I love you no matter what. The only thing that matters is that you give your life for me that we can spend eternity together. I'm going to love you even if you don't, but I still love you. I don't love your situation. I don't agree with your sin, but I love you the same. And I'll love you till it's all said and done. But the way you spend eternity with me is to surrender that love back. God's love don't change. See, some people think in here we've done so many things so bad that God don't love us anymore. That's nonsense. God never stopped loving you. And he won't ever stop loving you. People don't go to hell because God doesn't love them. People go to hell because they never fall in love with God. Everywhere he turned, he had an enemy, but in the end, he was victorious. He said, I know, and some of you feel that way today, Pastor. I got enemies all around me. Like you can't get a hold this morning. Pastor, I can't take a step forward. Somebody's always got to do something. Now, I'm going to tell you something about me and my wife. I'm not going to stop fighting until I defeat them. That was in me from the time I was a child. I will fight till I win. But when it becomes spiritual and it's an attack on your family... There can't be no man and woman in their right mind that says, I'm just going to surrender to him." No, you've got to fight them. You've got to keep pushing. You've got to keep praying. You've got to keep battling. You've got to keep going and let God do the thing. I'm not giving up until this fight is completely over. I'm not giving up till I feel like David and I've chopped his head off with his own sword and I've held it up and said, this battle is done because I'm not facing these same giants no more. It's not coming in my house no more. It's not attacking my kids no more. I'll fight it till it's said and done. David wasn't just happy with throwing a rock and knocking him down. See, that's what we do today is, is we, we get in this battle and we send up a prayer and we feel the enemy back up and we think he's defeated. He's not defeated, he's just pushed back. He's coming back until you go into spiritual warfare, and you take the things he's using against you and you defeat him with his own plan. But it takes God's word to do that. It's power and it's spirit. Fight for your kids. fight for your marriage, fight for your finances, fight for your church fight until you are victorious. Because here's what I want you to know. We don't fight for victory. Oh, pastor, that's religion. No, no, no. no. I'm telling you today, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Victory has already been granted. The battle's already been settled. I'm not fighting the enemy to gain victory. I'm fighting him from the victory I've already received. I'm already proclaiming it. I'm already declaring it. I'm already walking in it. And I've already got the power and authority to stand before him and say, this isn't even a battle that you're engaging in. You're already defeated. You just got to back up and realize that you have no authority over me, my kids, my wife, my family. You have nothing, no say-so in my home because I have the power and authority to rebuke you and remove you and cast you out because I don't need the victory. I've already got it. Jesus is already paid for it he's already granted it the blood is already applied to it and i'm telling you this morning you've got to find a place with god where you believe in applying the blood of jesus to your life and it's not some sissified prayer that says i read it out of a book but it's the blood of jesus that's been applied to your life and you believe in it with all your heart and that's why your situations are shifting his victory did not come in the house of revival Sometimes we think that we're going to get in a place of revival or an atmosphere of revival and that our victory is going to come. His victory didn't come in the house of revival. Can I tell you this morning, his victory didn't come in the church house. His victory came in the place of nothing. In Beth Avon, where he couldn't get anything going. But I got to land this plane this morning and tell you that you've got to face the spirit and defeated. The Bible says that Saul would go back and he would defeat all six nations that was against him
2: and you're better than
0: that. Well, Geico has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that,
2: but you're right.
0: Switch to Geico. It's obviously a good idea.
1: Now, if you know anything about the old Testament and you want to really learn how to study what God's trying to say to you, study the names of the things that are applied, go back and find out what the names of the nations mean. And God will show you the battles you're facing because he started off in Moab and the Hebrew meaning of Moab is, who is your father? Simply implying to your family. He said, one of the biggest enemies of your life was your family. One of the biggest enemies of your life was your generational curses. See, today we preach that that's not true, but I'm here to tell you it's very true. That there are things that you're dealing with in your life because mom and daddy didn't deal with it right. There are things that you're dealing with in your life today because grandma and grandpa didn't deal with it right. They made great sacrifices in Moab. There was a place of great bondage. They used to sacrifice children. Today is still a place of great bondage. These curses were passed down, but God gave Saul victory over family curses. He gave victory over the place of nothing. He put him in a place where he could understand. And I want to tell you and encourage you this morning that generational curses need to stop with you. You need to be that one that says it stops here. I understand, pastor. That's why I face some of the things I face because I've seen it all my life. But it stops right here. I don't have to submit to it. I'm telling you this morning that you need to know that what your granddaddy struggled with, you don't have to struggle with. You need to know that what mama and daddy struggle with, you don't have to struggle with. The depression that your daddy felt, you don't have to feel it. The addiction your uncle had, you don't have to have it. The anxiety that your mama had, you don't have to have it. The lust that was in it into your family, you don't have to have it. The divorce that captured your family, you don't have to have it. The backbiting that went through your generation, you don't have to have it. The financial debt that's in your life, you don't have to have it. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that it stops with you. It stops with you this morning. You the answer. Some of you this morning are probably dealing with what we call familiar devils. Familiar devils. You go to your family reunions and they sit down and they eat with you. Things that you've seen all your life, spirits, not people, spirits that sit down at the table, try to get it within the families. I've seen it growing up. I've seen it in my own family. My family couldn't get along with each other to save their life. My mom's probably watching and she'll agree with me. They struggled. It was always a battle. It was always a, a comparison. It was always a fight. But God said there's a time where enough is Enough. There's a time where he will raise up a man and a woman or or a man or a woman that will sit down at a table and say, that seat is taken. That spirit is gone. That is no more welcome in this atmosphere. That'll no longer have our family. That'll no longer make its way into our gatherings. That'll no longer separate us. That'll no longer divide us because God has given people authority and power to cast it out. Familiar spirits. Meaning what? Meaning what? And I'm not going to let the same things get inside of me that got inside of other people around me. Knowing that God doesn't want that. The second nation he was facing was the nation of Ammon. And it was actually meaning people and friends. And he said, one of the battles you have to defeat is friends that are bad encouragement. Friends that are leading you in the wrong places. If you only knew the spirit that battles in friendships, if you only knew the spirit, that'll hold you back from purpose in the midst of a friendship. I'm telling you this morning that so many people in today are so worried about being elevated in life. worried about my elevation when I need to be worried about my association. Because my association will ultimately stop my elevation. What does that mean, Pastor? Sometimes you've got to disconnect so that you can protect your purpose. Sometimes you have to see your circle for what it is. What does that mean, Pastor? That means this, that means that when my marriage is having problems, I don't go to somebody else who don't have the best interest in my marriage. I don't go to somebody else that don't want to see my marriage make it just as bad as me and my wife and God does. Because what happens is, is they got problems in their own marriage. So they're talking you into being in the same situation with them because really it's all about you being like them, but looking like you preach pastor Derek. That was great. It's all about people wanting you to be like them, dress like them, look like them, walk like them, talk like them, but look like you. Because when it all falls, it's on you. I don't really want to help you. I just want to make sure that you look like me and I don't look any different, but when you fall, it's all you because it's your identity. And we're selling our identities for friendships. We're selling our identities for relationships. Can I tell you something that once you submit to something that's not you, you will spend the rest of your life trying to find you. Do you know how hard it is to live a lie? Do you know how hard it is and uncomfortable it is to not walk in who God has created you to be? Come on, I've been there. I know. Firsthand, my wife will tell you, this is our worship pastor. He went back and watched live feeds on our Facebook. He's right here. He, I ain't going to lie on him. He went back and watched live feeds of me preach when I was walking in somebody else's character and identity. He said, Pastor, I cut you off. I couldn't even watch you because that ain't who you were. You sold your identity to line up to something that somebody else wanted you to be, but they wanted it to look like you. He said, I got to defeat that battle today. Come on, I keep going. Chicken's going to get cold. The third one, it was Zoba. Zoba means to mix and to water down. We cannot water down ourselves. Do you hear me this morning? You cannot water down yourself. You cannot get yourself in a situation where you are going to change and give away your passion and give away your call and give away your identity. That you've done it so much that you've lost in touch of who you are. I hear people all the time say, Pastor, I just don't even know who I am anymore. It's not because God created you that way. It's because somewhere along the way, you sold the identity that he gave you because you wanted somebody else to love you more. You wanted somebody else to like you more. And God said, why does that matter? All that's temporary. I'll never stop loving you. I'll never stop liking you just the way I created you. But you get back to the point and you see it. And here's the thing I want you to know. The truth is, is that We got to disconnect from every single relationship that does not have the same interest of God for your life. It's hard. I know it. it is hard. But if you're going to walk in your purpose, you've got to walk in the interest of God for your life. Why am I saying that today? Stop being who everybody else wants you to be. Stop being who everybody else wants you to be. Go ahead and bust that bubble this morning. God didn't instruct you to be blended into some version. He said, you are the salt. You bring the flavor to the table. You bring the flavor to the relationship. You add the flavor to what's going on. You bring the flavor to your situation. You are the salt. You are the light. You don't tend to anything else. You bring what I've given you already and you change the situation. You do it. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm not going to bust any bubbles this morning, but we will not water down anything in Zion church. We're not in no popularity contest. We're not trying to be the most popular church in the world. We're trying to keep people's behinds out of hell. And we're not going to water down things to be relevant. We're going to be relevant to the point that God allows us to be relevant. We've got enough knee sissy-fied preachers that are standing on pulpits today that don't want to tell somebody that there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end is death. That there are people all over this world that think that there's a way that they can live and everything's going to be fine, but the end of it is death. What happens? That word also means to be puffed up. That means pride gets in, church. Come on, I'm trying to help you today. Pride is a barrier between me and God. Pride is something that is hard to deal with because we are to walk in humility. Here's what I know to be true. God will humble the prideful man and He will exalt the humble. He'll use the one that says it's all about you, God, and he'll reject the one that says it's all about me. And the reason I'm telling you at this morning is because if we don't take care of pride, then God will. And it's a whole lot easier for us to do it. What do you mean by pride? I'm not talking to that person. then come talk to me. That's pride. I'm not going to say anything to that person. Then come say it to me first. That's pride. And let me tell you what happens when pride gets a hold of you, it becomes anger. And anger becomes this poison that you're drinking, and it makes you think that you're hurting the person that you're not talking to when all fact is killing yourself inside. It's anger. That's why every time you hear the name, it makes you so mad. That's why every time you're confronted with a situation that's got you so angry, it makes you so mad. You get around them, and you're so frustrated. The pride has led to anger, and now you are bound, and they are free let it go, let it go, but pastor, they did, let it go, but pastor, they said, let it go, but pastor, they let it go, but let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. go. Forgiveness is not about the person you're dealing with. Forgiveness is about settling your yesterday so that you can walk in your tomorrow. I can't even be the man God's called me to be. I can't even walk into my purpose tomorrow if I don't settle the forgiveness and the hurt and the anger in my yesterday. It's not about the other person. It's about you. They may tell you they don't forgive you. That's fine, but at least you know where you stand. Hey, here we go. The Philistines means to roll in dust and grief. What would God be trying to tell us To get up and get out of the ashes of yesterday's past. To stop grieving over the things that set us back. Pastor, I just want to get over in victory. Then get over what is already over. I just want victory in my life. I just want to get over it in victory. If I'm going to get victory, I've got to get over what's already over. And already been settled. Isaiah said this, he said, shake off your dust, rise up, sit throne Jerusalem, free yourself from the chains of your neck, daughter in Zion, now a captive. What is he saying? He said, shake it off. He said, you don't realize that God came in and you got this chain around your neck and he undid the lock, but it's up to you to take it off. God said, I freed you, but joy is a choice. I can choose to wake up with that chain still around my neck and the bondage and the padlock's already gone. I can choose to walk in the things God's already set me free from. I can choose to be bound by these things or I can wake up and choose joy. How do you know that? Because the Bible said that this weeping and all this heartache, it all lasts but for a night. Joy comes in the morning. Why? Because our Savior laid in the tomb overnight, but he rose up in joy in the morning and he brought joy and hope and peace to a nation and a people that is telling us this morning that everything we faced in our past was only but a moment. It was only but a season. It felt like nothing, but joy is now. Choose joy. To the end. The Amalekites... The Bible says they were the dwellers in the valley. And this is a tough one. Because some people, every time you talk to them, are in the valley. Every situation in their life is in the valley. Every time you ask them how they're doing, you get the negative side of the valley. Every time you try to help them in a situation, you find out about the valley. And it's not that because God won't take them out the valley. Some people like to live in the valley because that's where their attention comes from. And I'm going to tell you this morning, God didn't make you and create you to be in no valley. God said, you're not going to be a dweller of the valley. We've already defeated that nation. (laughs) You're going to get back up on the mountain. You're going to get back up where I created you to be. You're going to get back up on your feet. You're going to get back up where it is because Jesus said this, whenever we live in the valley church and we try to make it about my situation, every time I talk to somebody, instead of being able to encourage them in joy, it's all about the valley I'm living in. It's all about the situation and the darkness I'm living in. What happens is, is we begin to take the focus off of who Christ is and put all the attention and draw them to our situation and who we are. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. If you'll exalt me, if you'll praise me, if you'll lift me up, I'll draw them to me. You don't have to tell them about the valley, just tell them about me and they will see that there is hope, peace, and joy. The defeater of the valley. Watch this. Stand to your feet with me. Come on. They used to go to church for three, four, five, six hours. We ain't been in here but an hour and a half. We just fine. Let me tell you something else about that. When you get to heaven, it's eternal. There's no breaks. Now, when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's stone, he fought against his enemies in every direction, and he was victorious everywhere he turned. You know what he's saying? That Saul got back a grasp on his home. When you begin to fight these battles all around you, church, you'll begin to win at home. You're going to begin to win with your kids you're gonna win again with your spouse. You're gonna get out the valley. You're gonna win with your job. You're gonna step out the valley and you're gonna win with your relationships. You'll step out the valley and you'll win with your careers. You'll step out the valley. You'll win with your church. You'll step out the valley. You'll win with your finances when you begin to realize that through these, bi- these victories, I now have victory in my home. Can I tell you, <laughs> That all the nations he fought, that was one of the most important ones. We all struggle to be victorious in our own house, myself included at times. But it's the one place we need to be most consistent at being victorious. But I left something out. there was another place that we didn't talk about and it was called Edom. And the word Edom means red flesh. And Edom is actually the nickname of Esau, who the Bible says that he traded his his actual birthrights for a bowl of soup. What is he saying, pastor? Church, God's trying to tell us this morning that the most important enemy we need to defeat this morning is our own flesh. He said, you know what? It's really not about all the battles we just talked about. It's about the fact that the flesh is the one who's causing you to face these battles. He said, you need to defeat Edom this morning. You've got to defeat your flesh. This was the final victory that Saul needed. Victory over the flesh because he struggled in doing the things he wanted to do and not the things God wanted him to do and God said this is your final test this is your final battle you have to dominate your life the flesh cannot dominate you you've got to dominate that relationship you've got to have that thing submitting to you you've got to have full authority of it you've got to bring your body into subjection and you've got to live in a spiritual life and stop letting that old man rise up and tell you you're somebody else and fight you in a manner you shouldn't be fought and have you doing things and saying things and going places and touching things and doing things you shouldn't be doing it's the flesh And he said, that has to be defeated. Can I tell you that there's nothing more important this morning? Because if we have a problem this morning with the flesh, we're in need of a savior who said, I'll swap with you. I'll take that carnal nature away and I'll give you something that has authority to win on the levels you need to win. Pastor, it feels like nothing. Your ground is shifting. I don't know who I'm talking to in this place today, but we're opening these altars, and I want to tell you something this morning. It's not that God's not doing anything in your life, it's that God wants us to defeat the enemies we just spoke about. Some of it's our flesh. Some of us need to defeat the problems in our families. Some of us need to defeat the problems in our friendships. Some of us need to get out the valley. But there's an area of life in every one of us that we can get stronger at this morning. And if you're the one this morning that says, Pastor, I I, I fit in that last category of Edom, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ died for the remission of your sins. That God wants to forgive you this morning. God wants to save you. God wants to remove that that feeling. God wants to remove those fleshly actions and those fleshly decisions. And God wants to put it with a spiritual mindset behind it. If we'll just repent this morning and say, Father, I love you. Let him know the things we've done. Be personal with him and ask him to forgive us. And truly turn away from the things that we once did. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning that you're not living in, a, in an area of nothing. God is shifting something in your life. What is it this morning that you're missing? What is it this morning that you need? These altars are wide open. God, help us this morning to be submissive God to the things that you've showed us help us to submit this morning God to the way that you want us to go Lord you are so worthy to be praised we're so thankful this morning God I pray Lord that every heart is touched this morning God Lord take us to a deeper place with you move mountains God we didn't believe could be moved God we're swinging and we think we're missing God but you're up to something you're doing something right now God, I pray for every family in this room. God, every family in these altars. God, every person that's laying a situation down. God, that you would give us the authority and the power to leave it where it is, God, and to walk out of here new creations. God, walk out of here that much lighter. Walk out of here, God, with that not weighing us down. Take the chains around our necks off, God. Walk in true freedom this morning. Let you move in our life. Let you move in our family this morning, God. We've come to defeat enemies that's been on our back for years. We've come to defeat spirits that's been after us all our life. We've come, God, with a with a spirit of breaking this morning, God. we come to break the chains, God. We've come to set free this morning, God. We've come to walk in the freedom that you've called us to. And God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you'd have your way in this altar call. Come on, church, worship him.